Hey firecrackers, it's Naomi and welcome to the firecracker department. I've had this great day. It's been educational, inspirational, exciting, uplifting, frustrating, all the things. Because the CFF, the Canadian Film Fest, launched tonight with a fantastic Women and Non-Binary Filmmakers Summit. So imagine this, nine o'clock in the morning, you go on to Zoom. You stay on until six o'clock that evening. How many people are like, oh, my head would explode? I would think that my head would explode too, but I was engaged. They put together such an amazing summit full of panels and discussions and statistics that we need to know about as women and non-binary filmmakers in this industry. Jen Pogue and Ashley Rains put it together and I have to tell you, it was just so exciting. I know this is being released. I know that while I'm talking, you're saying, Thanks a lot, Sneakus, because I couldn't see it and it's too late now. Well, it's too late for this year, but not too late for next year. So go over to canadianfilmfest.ca and just keep in touch. Keep in touch with the movies that they're supporting. Keep in touch with these summits, the panels that they are hosting. And I guarantee you, you will just be jazzed. I wish I could give you like specific quotes or numbers, but the overall feeling at the end was A, what an awesome community of kick-ass people we have in this film business. And then secondly, I would say the biggest message I took away was get to work. <laughs> you know, keep creating. If you want to be a director, you should be directing. There's nothing stopping us from creating films with your phone. If you're a writer, you should be writing. So all the things that you know in your heart of hearts that you should be doing, you could be doing to advance your career, your craft, that's all there is to it. I would say across the board, whether it was producers speaking or writers speaking or directors speaking, everybody was just saying, just make sure you're always creating. Make sure you're always working on your story. Make sure you're always putting your opinion out there through your art. And this is the thing I just loved so much. Carolyn J. Wu from Crave and CTV, they said something that just really resonated with me. And I love this because Carolyn is in the corporate world, but they still recognize the value and the importance of putting art first. So no matter if your pitch is being turned down or your script is being given a myriad of notes or your short film isn't being supported, come back to art. Start with art. You can't say start without art, right? And I just love that awareness and also that reminder that we have to put our art, our stories first. I think sometimes in this industry, we get a little bit overwhelmed with uh, quote unquote, I'm doing the quotation marks in the air, the business, like the hustle of it all. And I think something Renika Jayapalan also spoke about was turning back to our creative self so that it's not working on your business, it's actually working on your craft and that will see you through the business aspects. And that if you're looking for an agent, they'll find you with your art. They're not gonna find you because you're hobnobbing and networking and all that stuff. They'll find you because you have passion with what you're creating. I really encourage you to go over to canadianfilmfest.ca and join in these discussions, register for their festivals, and again, Jen Pogue and Ashley Rains just did a kick-ass job with that summit. I was there until six o'clock and I was like, where's everybody going? Why are people leaving the Zoom room? <laughs> I'll stick around. It was so, so great. Speaking of so great, I'm really jazzed to share my chat with our guest today. We have got Toronto-based 
executive producer, producer Teresa M. Ho. Now, Teresa has over 25 years of experience. Yes, she has 25 years of experience under her belt in production finance and management, along with over 10 years as a producer in Canadian television. She has produced four seasons of CBC's Frankie Drake Mysteries and two seasons of Chorus's Departure. Teresa also managed the hit Netflix series Anne with an E. I loved that series. So great. And multiple units on NBC Universal's reboot TV series Heroes Reborn. Yeah, she's killing it. Teresa recently launched a CBC Gem original called Hello Again, which is a rom-com short form series created by Simu Liu and Natalie Younglai with the support of CBC Gem, The Bell Fund, The CMF, and Ontario Creates. It's got nine episodes. This is one of the perks. I got a little sneak peek. It's so sweet, but it's also so surprising. Like you'll watch it and you'll fall in love for sure with just falling in love. Don't you just fall in love with falling in love? Anytime I see a scene where two people are like smitten and flirting and falling in love, I'm like, oh, I hope they get together. I hope everything works. And then, hello again, it just tilts. There's just this little tilt, and I'm not going to tell you what it is because it's so beautifully surprising. It's my kind of show because it's just a little bit magic. Yeah, I love that kind of thing. So if you haven't seen Hello Again, I really encourage you to go check it out on CBC Gem. And by the way, BTW, when you're done listening to this episode, why don't you head over to listen to Natalie Young Lies episode, because that also rocked my world. Now, Teresa founded 100 Dragon Productions with the newest branch, 100 Dragons Media, which launched in 2015. 100 Dragons focuses on cultivating and gathering diverse people and inclusive ideas to create innovative programming for the world. Teresa is currently developing a feature film, 15 Kinds of Casual Sex, which was selected for the WIFT Toronto NBC Universal Development Incubator. It was also selected for the National Screen Institute, IAVE On Demand Access Program, and it was awarded development funds from the Harold Greenberg Fund and Telefilm. Yes, 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 yes. That's the other thing I learned in the CFF Summit today is apply to all these funds. Apply to all the programs, apply to all the festivals. Just start applying because the thing that happens is when you apply for things, you write your purpose. You write and you craft and you rewrite and you edit and you hone what your purpose is. And sometimes you actually have to create something in order to submit. So that makes you have a deadline. So super worthwhile. That's something Renika Jayapong also mentioned in the summit. Now, back to Teresa. She's also developing Wild Willie with Natalie Young Lai. I just love Natalie, who will be writing the feature. Wild Willie received financing through the new telefilm development stream for racialized persons. Now, when Teresa isn't racing around sets, you can find her racing around the tennis courts and working on her service game. Yeah, she's fantastic. I love meeting people that you think are in show business for the business, and then you find out that they have all this passion. I love the story about Frankie Drake in London that we talk about. And I come out of these discussions kind of vibrating. You'll see when you listen to her. So here we go. Without further ado, here's my chat with the one and only Teresa M. Ho. Hi! Oh, oh here I am. Oh, here yeah. you are. This is awesome. Nice to see you, Teresa. Nice to see you, too. Teresa, I'm not going to lie. I put on makeup for you. I was like, I'm really excited. So, and I didn't curl all my hair. 
but I did curl the zoom part. That's like amazing. That's yeah. like all you need to do. Really. All you need. Don't turn your head. Unless you, <laughs> I have to show you something behind here and then I have to back up into it to show it. To uh you. <laughs> yeah. I'm so jazzed to talk to you because I don't think we hear enough from producers. I don't think we hear enough Aww. of their stories. I don't think we hear about how they got, it's just this sort of like producing entity that exists in the ether. And I wondered, was this always part of your plan? Were you always like, one day I want to produce TV? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like you said, nobody knows producers and nobody knows what they do. Right? Yeah. yeah. I, like whenever I, I meet people and I tell them I'm a producer, they're like, what do you, what does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> and, and how do you become an executive producer? Right. <laughs> that, those are really easy. You just bring money. It's just money. That's an easy, <laughs> that's an easy ask. When you're a little girl or boy or person, yeah. nobody ever says, Hey, when you grow up, do you want to be a, a doctor, a lawyer or a producer? Cause they'd be like, I don't know what that is. So tell me a little <laughs> bit about your journey to discovering that it is something that you obviously have a passion for. Well, I actually um, went to film school way back when, and, and I went to York University, went through at a time when there were maybe a handful of women in my class. Mm -hmm. And there was one other Asian woman in my class. So it, we, we all, all of us women really bonded together yeah. and created a bit of a collective for ourselves. And uh, from there, it's a fun story because I almost failed production managing. One oh. <laughs> but I think that's so exciting to hear because the more we tell about our failures, the more we can be relating to each other. Yeah. But yeah. So go on, tell me about your journey. But I mean, the reason I failed was because it wasn't really something that was a respected necessarily aspect of film school. You know, we all wanted to be directors, right. editors. I wanted to be an editor, cinematographers, you know, just like working on the floor in some of the more key creative roles and production managing and producing were, was a, a necessity because there's always, you know, needs to be someone who's organizing all these creative minds yeah. and wasn't necessarily something that I gravitated towards, even though I am quite organized, which is actually why I wanted to be a picture editor, organizing all of the footage and making it into a story that maybe the script wasn't as strong as it should be. And then, you know, editorial is able to make it into a, a cohesive project. And I feel like as I kind of continued on that path, and the next step for me was actually production accounting, I feel like a lot of what made me want to be an editor, um, I've since picked up a lot of the same skill sets in the different capacities that I've worked in, yeah. like accounting. And it was, you know, I was speaking to some students about production accounting. And, you know, I, I said, well, and being a picture editor is pretty much like a all the tangible aspects of the film that you have, and you're putting it together in a cohesive story. Well, that's the same thing that you do in accounting. Mm -hmm. you're taking all the tangible mm -hmm. assets of you know all the money that's been spent and you're telling the story of how that money has been spent and where has it been spent so that right. the people who are investing they know where all that money went right it's still so, storytelling it's just storytelling it's, about money it is yeah. it, exactly right. and to the audience that cares about 
where all that money went. Right. <laughs> and so um, as I, I kind of went along and into production managing and then producing, it just all kind of fell in line that all of these skills I'd been building up over the years brought me to a place as a producer where I knew about money, I knew about story, I knew about where to put the money on the screen. And that for me was my superpower. I know how to spend that money. And the other aspect of producing that I, that's actually absolutely one of my favorites is to work with creative people and help them take that creativity into an aspect that they may not quite grasp the how to spend the money aspect of it, but that's what I can help them and how I can support them. This is the money we have. This is your vision. And how do we move forward together on that? And that's, you know, that's how I see producing and, and it's hard to explain in three words, but it, it is very much, you know, we, it's a collaborative effort. Yeah. Was that something that you came to realize or that you saw and then you went after? Like, cause at some point you had to not give up the dream of directing, but refocus a little bit. Did, did you not? I wasn't very good at directing. <laughs> Why do you say that? They had, How do you know? They How had different skills. I No, I took a class and um, I, it was actually as I was producing, one of the things I love to do is understand all the people I work with. Right. So I took a directing class so I could understand what directing was. And they need feelings and talking <laughs> about their feelings. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, I can't do that to people. <laughs> <laughs> right and that was your like I think my my journey's in a different direction I love it producers are notorious not to have feelings so. <laughs> I mean I do I think I don't know I feel like there's a wave of a new type of producer maybe it's happening yeah. now maybe it has been happening but they're more of a creative producer as opposed to yeah. the producer that sits in the corner with like counting the money out <laughs> and you're like who is that person they're the producer <laughs> But now yeah, I feel yeah, like, yeah. you know, hearing you, you're obviously passionate about projects. I and am. You're I am. connected emotionally, whether or not you talk about it. So <laughs> I, I don't know. Do you see that? Do you see that new wave of creative producing going on? I really do. I, I, I see it more than, you know, the cigar chomping. Yeah, that's, um, my, that's my image too. <laughs> yeah. Person who, who gets like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Who says, no, it's too yeah. expensive before even asking the questions. Right? Yeah. Like that is. That is kind of, you know, my, I am the antithesis of that. I'm the one who's like, okay, let's figure this out. Yeah. You really want this or do you, what do you want the most when you're working on low budget? It's like, okay, you can either afford this or you can afford that, which one. And if you want both, then we're, we're going to need more money. There's always solutions. It's yeah. just choices that we make. And that's kind of what I, I think me as a producer, I'm presenting the choices you know, in a very yeah. clear um, way that a creative person can understand. The other thing that I think I, I have a strength in is understanding personalities so mm. that, you know, I know what some people respond to and I know what some people don't respond to. And, you know, you want the response that you want. So you wouldn't talk about money to someone who really doesn't care about money. Right. That's probably like all the artists that you work with. Not to say producers yeah. aren't artists, I think they are, but there is a very clear division when people are like, I've got this great idea and it opens on this shot and it takes place in this area and location. And meanwhile, you're like, that, do you know how much that's going to cost? So it's not something that mm -hmm. artists necessarily have in their brain. 
no yeah. no it's it, but it's characterizing it in a way that you know it's like okay well do you like your house right, <laughs> right? right. you could sell your house <laughs> not saying that's what I say to people yeah. but you know it's like it's it's giving them a context of what that creativity means and how to achieve it yeah and you know some people would give up their house yeah that I've heard that it's funny because I gamble like that's do you really that's a yeah such an interesting I love thing for for a producer to say like I I believe it I I love blackjack blackjack's one of my favorite okay. games but and and I had an executive look at me and like you gamble <laughs> and like I gamble at work every day yeah it's a gamble of whether it's gonna snow when we're supposed to be on a beach <laughs> and right. it's how yeah looking at the odds of that happening and then making decisions right. based on those odds, you know? Has there been a project that you would give up your house for? Not yet. <laughs> yeah. Like what is an extreme that maybe you've gone through because you are so connected to a project? I mean, some of my really passionate statements have been um, against racism, against mm -hmm. misogyny and oftentimes when you are standing up uh, against the system mm -hmm. to um, go against the, the status quo who would prefer to lead with misogyny or racism in a very um, microaggressive way mm -hmm. that's standing up against the system which oftentimes is an executive or someone who is being microaggressive that's tough yeah it's hard to read the room oftentimes when those things happen. Yeah. Especially when you're the, either the only woman or the only person of color. In yeah. The Who taught you that skill? Because I do feel like that isn't something that they speak a lot about in film school about like conflict resolution, which I think you must have to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. So where did you get that skill? And when did you know you had that skill? <laughs> Gosh, I, I don't, no, it just developed over the mm. years. And I think it's just coming from a place of authenticity. Mm -hmm. In my opinion, and, you know, maybe some of the world events isn't playing to it, but in my opinion, most of the people don't want to do harm. They are either hurt people mm. and don't know how to manage differently, or they just don't understand. Mm -hmm. And it's that always continuing the conversation as opposed to shutting it all down. I feel that as long as I'm maintaining my authenticity, we can somehow meet in the middle. Yeah, I, I like that a lot. And do you remember when you had your first early days as a producer? Do you remember like what were there maybe some, I don't know, key lessons that you took away? Like the first project, because this is what happens to me every time I'm on set. I'm like, when I have my show, I'm going to do that or I'm not going to do that. Yeah. And you start to pull yeah. the list together. Do you remember your first days as a producer? Well, I, I remember um, the first time I sat uh, on set and we were in take number 13 of a shot. Right. Oh God, <laughs> that made me sweaty for, just hearing that. <laughs> the first AD turned to me and said, you know, that's take 13, right? And I turned to the director and like, you should do one more. <laughs> yeah. And then he's like, why? I'm like, I don't know, give him a different, give the actor a different direction. Sure. Go, go in a different way. And he did. And then I'm like, that's good. Okay. 
So that's the last time we did 14 <laughs> takes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't want to end on 13. Nobody wants to end on the No, 13. no, 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 no. Yeah. But the reason I say that is because, you know, it's one of those things is like you learn from your mistakes, but you also have to be kind. It's like the mm. director wasn't necessarily seeing what it was that they were um, looking for. And it isn't about the number of takes. It's that the, the confidence of the director, the actor needs to be boosted. And mm. giving that one more time was enough for the director to then hone it all in at a later mm. but I mean that that wow. project being one of the first ones I produced was the one that told me I should go learn how to direct so that I, I can see yeah. what a director has to go through because that's the other part of understanding is like understanding where people's processes are right and I feel like when I work with creative people if I know where they're coming from I know what makes them pick and what um, helps them in their process and listening. I think the biggest thing that people don't do enough is listen. Then it, it, it only benefits the project when you listen and, and can, can feed back and know what, what they're going through. Yeah. I mean, for somebody who doesn't like talking about emotions, you're pretty in touch with people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Did you ever take any acting classes? Oh, I did take one. And it didn't go very well either. <laughs> no, but you're not no, taking but... them to become an actor. You're taking them because you want to investigate. I actually loved acting when I was a teenager. I used to write my own plays and then star in my own plays. And, I love it. And, you know, it was whenever there was a creative writing assignment, it was like, I'm going to write a play or a, or a monologue or something to, to yeah. act in, right? So, yeah. And it also helped my confidence, I think. I have a 22 year old son. And one of the things when he was, you know, those awkward adolescents, I said, go take acting classes. Yeah. You have nothing to lose when you're in school. Yeah. And it will only build your confidence. Yeah. I agree with you hundred percent. And my background's with in improv and I think everybody should take improv. Not to, not oh, to yeah. be funny, not to like be the next, you know, comedian in the world, but just to build your confidence and be better communicators and learn listening because improvisers are really yeah. good listeners. Yeah. And, and communicators. My son loved his improv class. He, he and then he um, kind of d did a whole skit with improv and, you know, he was telling me how, you know, you, you can't shut someone down when you're doing improv. Like right. that's the biggest sin. Right. Mm -hmm. And so he, how do you keep and improv going yeah well you actually you, you just said something too like you don't tell people no like if somebody says oh I want to do this financially is it possible you don't say no you say yes and you might have to give up this like you have like the basis <laughs> of improv yeah. yeah yeah you know I think we have such a wide audience with firecracker department and I can imagine people listening to you you know who might be thinking about traveling down the road of producing Maybe you can give me some insight about like common mistakes that you see people making in producing world. So I did a talk not too long ago about producing for the Academy, actually. And one of my big advice to um, new producers was make sure you have a good lawyer and make sure you have a good accountant because those people are the ones who will protect you. Right. Because it is a business, right? You know, there's the creative aspect of producing, but you know, when you are handling millions of dollars or even 
you know, I started uh, when I when I launched my company, my friend handed me a budget of $8,000. For them, $8,000 was a lot of money. Yeah. So making sure you have the rights, making sure you have the contracts to everybody's work, and then making sure that when you're reporting to the government, it's all done correctly. One of the things with the Canadian film business, the tax credits are a big thing. And if you don't get your tax credits, there could be millions of dollars you're on the hook for. Mm -hmm. So, you know, having those professionals and I didn't go to school to be a lawyer or an accountant. There's a reason that, yes, that they do that. (laughs) But then don't you feel like as a producer, like you said earlier, like you want to learn how to do all, like all the roles, but not like, I'm never going to become an expert accountant, but I should know a little bit about it. Like, didn't, don't you feel like you have to put your hand in all the pots? Yeah. Yeah. You need to at least like, I know the, the surface level of directing. I know the surface level of, of acting, you know, the surface level of what lawyers do. Right. I know what they're supposed to do for me. I know what they're supposed to do for the production. So it's those understanding of the roles. I mean, one of the best advice that was given to me by another executive producer was hire well. And that's what producers do. Yeah. We know personalities. We know how people, what their skills are. And when you bring certain people together with certain personalities, you're knowledgeable about it. You could create magic. If you're not, and you have a lot of friction, then it becomes just detrimental to the project. Yeah. Yeah. So team, you know, building your team and obviously, you know, I was just watching your hello again and I'm such a fan of Simu and Natalie's. Okay. This is my vision that you're like a producer is like one of those, like when you're choosing your baseball teams and you're like, okay, I'll take that person. Then the next person go, okay, I'll take that person. And you're choosing your teams. So what do you look for when you're choosing your, your team starting in a creative project? Passion for the project is the big thing. If I'm passionate about something, it really helps sell a project. And, and so the other creators need to be passionate as well. And we need to kind of have that same level of, you know, desire because I mean, this is a hard industry. Yeah. And that was the one thing my son um, wants to uh, work in the industry as well. He's in school right now. And He's I an said, editor, him, like, right? don't, yeah. yeah, I said, don't, don't do it. If, if you're not passionate yeah because it's too hard late at night when <laughs> especially editing we were like trying to make a scene work oh my and nobody's around like what I do is like write budget oh, okay I have to slash two million dollars out of this budget who who gets slashed you oh know it's like it's it's all really hard so you gotta really want it and you gotta really like want it for the right reasons yeah but it's also I mean finding your why for a project when I know my why of why I want to do a project I can also then pitch to the other team members Mm -hmm. and if we're all in the same idea of why we want to do this project and you know some projects it's just about the money right there are some projects where you know like big American studio shows they're money driven and they're tent poles and there's people who are really passionate, but then there's other people. It's just about money. Yeah. And, and that's fair. That's fair. This is a business. People have to make a living. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but like, okay, well, why am I in this? And even, you know, sometimes if I'm passionate about something, 
and there are other people that want to do it because they want to be associated to it mm-hmm. or they want it to get their foot in the door and this is opportunity it's understanding why everyone is standing at midnight <laughs> on a cold rainy night why are we doing this what why is are wrong we doing with us? this yes <laughs> but then something happens right this is the thing that's like the lure because something magical happens like you'll be sitting freezing your butt off and then you'll watch like a scene that will break your heart or make you laugh and you'll be like oh I get it I'll stand yeah. for 10 more hours no problem yeah yeah what yeah. do you remember like a clear why for you in like one of your past projects because you've been involved in such like in the gamut right things like that are big things like Murdoch Mysteries but then also things like Hello Again which is this new little flower that's blooming so do you remember some of your whys? Frankie Drake for me, it was one of the easy things to pitch to people uh-huh. because I'm very passionate about female-driven stories and the diverse nature of the Frankie Drake world with the top six women of various backgrounds in Toronto was something easy for me to relate to mm-hmm. and progressive in you know its time where the female driven stories were just starting to be embraced. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't just, you know, all these women who really were just like men with skirts. These were all multidimensional women with different lives and different aspects. Yeah. Cause I do feel like it's ensemble. And when I say ensemble, I don't just mean in cast, like you can tell when the crew and the ensemble are all on the same page something like that. Mm-hmm. I feel that way watching sort of as well with Bilal. Yeah. Like that kind of collaboration is so, I'm infinitely jealous, infinitely when I see, <laughs> uh, you know, teams coming together like that, that I'm like, oh, I want to play in that sandbox. Yeah. Looking back at your career too, you've got a lot of period pieces with like Anne with an E and, and Frankie and Murdoch, as we've spoken about. Was that a conscious choice to stay in line with a, a, a style of TV? No, it just was something I gravitate towards. Yeah. That and then and then people asked me. And it was like, yeah, okay, I know how to do that. Yeah. And then suddenly I'd done, you know, I, I had worked on Murdoch from season one to season, I think it was eight. I can't remember. It might have been, yeah, I think it was eight. Um, when I was working at Shaftesbury. And then I did Anne with a knee, and then I did Frankie. Drake season one and so I was like I know how to do these period season ones mm-hmm. they're really hard <laughs> they're really I'll see you hard, in season two but... <laughs> yeah <laughs> but you know when like it's just you, you you get your roster of who to call and you can't move the camera very much because you get to one side and it's like oh wait there's a modern mm-hmm. <laughs> right <laughs> that's right there's a 7-eleven in Murdoch mysteries that we just can't have yeah yeah no 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 it's it's all those like how do we remove that air conditioner <laughs> that's on the 20th floor of right. that building right you can't so no. you shoot around it or you put enough money in your CGI budget <laughs> yeah he seems so calm and I think like it's not a calm industry necessarily because you are dealing with budgets and you are dealing with time restraints. And those are two things that are they're anxiety creating. Is that a skill that you learned? Was there a tipping point where you're on set and going, I'm not going to get my knickers in a twist anymore. It's not worth it. 
I don't think it was conscious. I, you know, I've always been calm and I love being unflappable. There are some people that um, I work with and I describe them as unflappable. Like you can say something and they'll kind of clock it and then move on. <laughs> right. And, you know, they're sorting it out in their mind what it is, the task or the, the challenge that you've given them. Mm-hmm. And I admire those people and I want to be like those people. So, you know, it's, it's something I want to project. But I also love having those people around me. So it makes it when you're working with people of the same mindset, it makes the days better. Yeah. Yeah, that's like the page in uh, Tina Fey's book that said, like, just make sure you're going to be okay working with people at two, three in the morning, if you have to, because, you know, that's sort of, that's the test. Mm -hmm. It's easy to work with somebody for an hour. I can work with anybody for an hour. (laughs) Well, beyond, you know, within reason. (laughs) (laughs) Within reason. (laughs) Yeah. So do you have any um, stories of, like, producing victories that you've experienced in Onset where you're like, really tested all those skills that you've been pulling towards, all the things that you've been working on your entire career got tested? I would say traveling to London, England with Frankie Drake Mysteries for two days. Right, for two days. Incredible, yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's it's one of those things that in Canadian television, it's hard to do because you're not allowed. There are rules about how much you can be outside of a country, but amortized over a series it makes it easier and you know even traveling this was season three of Frankie's Great Mysteries that traveling aspect of it I remember that April we I think went twice to London we had to go there scout right come back do prep then go there again to shoot and then come back and finish so and then we had to make Ontario London, Look England, like England. <laughs> in 1920. <laughs> oh my gosh. And those kind of things, you don't go, oh, like, that's too much. It's too much. You're like, okay, let's dive in. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And those kinds of things, when we stand there on the set and I look around and go, wait, is this Toronto? <laughs> yeah. Is this Hamilton? Yeah. I feel like I'm in London, you know, <laughs> then yeah. that, those are the magic. That's yeah. the magic. And uh, those are the things that keep you going when you ha- are given a task that's too hard. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, actually, in part in, in that um, challenge from the writer, Carol Hay, who's amazing. She's just uh, so amazing, amazing woman. Um, she had wrote that Frankie was standing in front of the Savoy Hotel. And I'm like, Savoy Hotel, like the most expensive hotel in London? <laughs> right. Yeah. This is where the creative and and the financial are disconnected. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, I don't know, we'll give it a try. And um, so our fixer there, who was scouting for us, called up the Sepoy, told them who we were, and they just happened to be a Canadian company who loves Murdoch. No kidding. (laughs) And loves Frankie Drake. And said, yeah, you can film outside our hotel. Yeah. I love it. We love our Canadians. And so we did. We filmed outside the Savoy for four hours. (laughs) And it was like the money shot. 
Wow. It was just amazing. And, and those, that kind of magic. And then it was like, Carol, yeah, leave it in. We got the Savoy. And she was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> you did what? <laughs> it's those things that, you know, when I can get a writer something that they write like yeah. that, when even I was like, I don't think we could do that. It was like, okay, you did it. Yeah. I feel like, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like one of the mottos of producing is it never hurts to ask. Exactly. And like, why would we say no to something when we haven't even asked if it is a no? Exactly. Exactly. It's the Savoy test. I'm going to, I'm going to, for now, I'll just call it a Savoy test. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah. I love that so much. Yeah, um, and yeah. so do you have like a, you know, next projects, do you have like uh blue sky dreams for projects that you haven't done yet, but you know, you'd like to do? Well, there's this one project that right before the pandemic, I was just starting to pull together and it, it's a TV series in Costa Rica. Okay. And I went to scout it and I was like, this is amazing. This will be amazing. And then the pandemic helped happen. Oh. <laughs> right. So, but we're, we're, we're recircling back to it. And I'm hoping that it's something that, you know, be, will be in the next uh, year or two. Um, get into development somewhere and it's a really cool uh female driven series so amazing yeah are you able to shut down like are you able to not see a show and see you know look at it as a producer and just lose yourself in a show only on shows like emily in paris (laughs) why (laughs) why that one because it's so cute (laughs) i don't think i'm like a producer i think i think like you know my 18 year old self who loved watching those kinds of shows right yeah yeah and I wasn't like thinking about oh look at all those extras right I know (laughs) right oh my gosh you know it's not a good show if you're thinking about all the extras you're not engaged I know that it's my it's my game is when I watch a show and if I'm not enjoying the show I just start watching the background performers because I love watching like what they've come up with to stay present and stay engaged in the scene but you know that they're not allowed to speak so there's a lot of like head nodding and head shaking even though the other person isn't talking (laughs) it's I love it so much yeah so that's the Costa Rica dream and do you have any like artistic goals do you have anything that like as an artist as a creative producer you're like this has to be in my next project maybe or in my next chapter of life well I had written a short film I want to direct eventually mm-hmm. when I'm more in touch with my feelings <laughs> <laughs> I think you I think you're not doing so bad like I think you might you might be ready for, for that yeah yeah I did write a short it was either go to therapy or or write uh, or, or produce a film and I thought you know let's just produce the film <laughs> I have a feeling you'll do therapy afterwards anyway after producing your own film so <laughs> yeah <laughs> Is that nerve wracking to so. you? Like, is that uh, stepping into some vulnerability when you show your writing and, and also step into a directing role? What's that going to be like for you? I think it's, it is very much the stepping into it because actors feel it. They need it. You know, when a director is not speaking to you or the character. So it's definitely something that we as creative people need in the collaboration of a project need to come together in an authentic way. Mm-hmm. Saying words like collaboration is just like my sweet spot. I'm just like, I just got drunk off your vocabulary. (laughs) (laughs) Because here's the thing. I I think we also perceive producers as being like 
I got it all under control. <laughs> Everything's fine. Hearing that you want to step into a role like writing your own work or actually like having your own work produced and also directing, does that scare you? Does that, do you battle any fears around that? Oh yeah. I mean, you're bearing your soul, right? Yeah. Like I showed a couple of actors I wanted attached to the short and they were like, wow, did that happen to you? And I'm like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, oh my God. That's why I say it's like either therapy or <laughs> make a short film because right. it's very much therapeutic to mm -hmm. make that short film because you're diving into emotional territory. Yeah. And I think the thing though is, is not to indulge in it thing is to actually work through it and you then you've got actors cinematographers editors who are also helping you through that, that process yeah to make your vision what you want it to be and yeah. I think you can really tell when a director's overindulgent I think 100 it, shows. it shows through every aspect as an actor you can feel it because mm -hmm. there's not there's no intention there's no as you said like authentic intention behind it when directors are like let's get this shot and you're like, it's the why. It's coming back to your yeah. why. Yeah. Can you tell me what the uh, premise is of your short film? The log line is, would you fall in love if you knew there was only six weeks to live? Oh, my God. I would like to invest. I have $30 <laughs> and I have my own Apple box. I would like to invest. <laughs> wow. One and day. One day. <laughs> beautiful. I mean, even that sentence is so poetic. And then the next question from anybody you're pitching to is like, wow, that really happened to you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that must have inspired a little bit of hello again for you too, because it's such yeah. a romantic story. I love romantic stories. Yeah. Know. Yeah. I, I like gushy. <laughs> Who doesn't? Who doesn't? Yeah. It has to be like real gush though. It can't be like fake gush. I'm not on the fake yeah. gush stuff. You can see it, right? Like as, as somebody as, you know, we speak about authenticity, but when you see actors and you're like, oh, you're, you're just grasping grasping at the gush mm. I get it yeah that was the thing about hello again when we saw the two actors performing it was like they have so much chemistry yeah yeah <laughs> was, it was it was just phenomenal was there anything around that production that you can speak of as a um I don't know like something that you're really proud about you know we didn't have a ton of money and we maximized the most of our of what we could but in terms of, I just love working with Natalie Younglai as well. Come on, she's the best. She and I had been, oh yeah, she and I had been like since 2015, been trying to get a project off the ground, some project. And yeah. then finally she came to me with this, with her and Simu. And I still remember that Starbucks we met. <laughs> and I was like, you guys are crazy, but I love this. <laughs> I mean, did you even finish your coffee before you said yes? Nah. <laughs> yeah. I, I was like, of course I'm going to do this. Yeah. <laughs> you guys are rock stars. <laughs> Somebody like um, Natalie, who has been on our show before, I don't know Simu, but there is a place of such a true leadership with her work. Do you know, like yeah. when she speaks, I just lean in because she's not giving me any guff she's giving me no guff that's right you can quote me that's right yeah <laughs> well I'm excited yeah. I'm excited to see that and I think it's a really such a unique story I've never seen anything I've watched the first two episodes I've never um I don't want to say anything either but I loved the part <laughs> I loved that part that's oh. amazing yeah, yeah. <laughs>
we need to wrap this up. So we'll do a, a, a turning the tables and you get to ask me a question. As an actor, if I was to do a reboot of a show, a movie, oh, what role wow. would you play? Oh, that's an impossible question. But I mean, <laughs> every role, like, you know, like actors are such, I am so um, vain that I'm like, I'll do all the roles. <laughs> Gosh, I don't know. I I uh, I would reboot anything that Meryl Streep has done, and then I would Ooh. curse myself for accepting the contract because I couldn't possibly match that. So I would that I'd be like, oh yeah, Sneakers is doing a reboot of something Meryl Streep's done. Nice, nice try. <laughs> I don't know. Are there are there roles that you think about that you want to see rebooted? Um. Actually, there's there's this movie that was a book from way back when, and I think they shot it in the 90s, and Juliana Margulies was the lead in it, called Mists of Avalon. It's a retelling of the Arthurian myth through the eyes of the women. Wow. And it, it was done in the 90s, but it had a different lens. And I feel like it's one of those stories that you could really dive into in 2022. Yeah and do it differently than what it was done before. It's a great question because it makes you think of what is worthy of a reboot. But usually if it's worthy of a reboot, it was fantastic when it first came out. Do you know, like it yeah. shouldn't actually be rebooted. Do you know, and just, I'll just say it cause it came to my mind, but there's a movie called Madame Bovary. Have you oh, heard of that? Yeah. And it's French. And I remember watching that and being so in awe of the strength of the female lead Madame Bovary and the whole yeah. story of her um journey as a as a scientist and I you know I, I think because my pop was a, a scientist that would really interest me the the strength and the passion that she has that sounds really cool I don't know I sh I'd also like to play like the ridiculous jokers too so I'm gonna that you're gonna make me think about that one now so <laughs> I appreciate that <laughs> Let's do some wrap up questions and then I'll okay. fill in the blank. To me, a firecracker is. A firecracker is explosive. Love it. I feel like I know this answer, but I'm going to ask you, what do you want to be best known for? She was a passionate storyteller. Uh, what's been your favorite mistake and what did you learn from it? Be careful what footwear you wear to set, especially if it's a muddy, <laughs> muddy, um, field that you crashed a train in and there was fire everywhere and everyone's tromping through the dirt yeah wrong day to wear heels right Teresa. Footwear. yeah <laughs> yeah 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 what's something that people don't know about you when I was 10 years old I wanted to be a professional tennis player <laughs> I love it okay my brother is a huge tennis player so we followed tennis but mostly in the 80s what was your generation of tennis people that you were watching Chrissy Everett yeah I wanted and, it to be Chrissy Everett and Martina <laughs> and Martina yeah I wanted to be like those women who like just killed that ball but yes. it was not my path <laughs> that was our generation too so and uh what's Martina and Chris Everett and I'm, I'm gapping Stephanie Graff Stephanie Graff, Stephanie Graff. Yeah, she was she was amazing. Coming Yvonne up, Lendl. Um, oh, I I passed Yvonne Lendl when I was like down at Indian Wells one time. I was like, look, there's Yvonne Lendl. 
and he's on the phone and I, I shouldn't bother him <laughs> your eyes when you said I passed Yvonne yeah. Lendl your eyes just got all glowy now <laughs> who's the guy that was all screaming all the oh McEnroe oh McEnroe so entertaining I still love watching him I yeah. still love watching him okay just going down a little tennis memory lane that was fun what is the best advice you've ever received or the worst advice you've ever received well I think I touched on the best which is hire well yeah Who's a firecracker in your world that you want to look at a little shout out, shine a light on? I want to say Winnie Wong because uh, it was amazing because Winnie, you know, when I started Hello Again, I actually didn't have any money for a publicist. Winnie doesn't know this, <laughs> but I found money because I'm like, I need a publicist and yeah. I need Winnie Wong. Yeah. So. <laughs> I mean, I'm a fan. I've been a fan of Winnie Wong since I met her in the studio when she brought in one of her clients to, uh, to do an interview. I don't think you can meet Winnie without going, oh, now I'm a fan. Yeah. In fact, we could probably make a little bit of money off making T-shirts, Teresa, if, you'd, if you're interested. <laughs> yep, definitely. Uh, what final question is, what advice? What advice would you have given to your younger self? Speak up. Love it. Yeah. What a pleasure. What an absolute pleasure to speak with you. I think this is such a great masterclass in producing. Well, thank you so much, Naomi, for inviting me. This was, I, I love talking to you. You're so open and, and fun to interact with. And yeah, this is a great experience. Thank you I'm so much. Just really, uh, yeah, I'm really honored. I'd, I'd say let's meet on a tennis court sometime, but I think that would just be a recipe for tears on my behalf. <laughs> I'd be gentle. Yeah. Oh gosh. I haven't played tennis for so long. We used to be like avid tennis players, my whole family. And then it just, uh... and also I kind of watched Chris Everett going, I can't do that. <laughs> I better start to yeah, learn yeah. how to make people laugh. Yeah. Yeah. Good yeah. luck with everything you're doing. Please keep in touch if there's Thank anything you. that we can do. You're, I think you're extraordinary. And I can't wait to see the reception of Hello Again. I think it's going to be really exciting. Wow. <laughs> thanks all right thanks thank so you much. Teresa. thank you thank you all right thank Bye you now. have a great one I, this podcast is just so much more than a podcast it's like i get these master classes in producing and i also get to see like inside people's creative hearts like we do these chats and we're on zoom but you can see their light in their eyes when they talk about their art and I can feel it I mean you know you know when you're speaking about something that you just love you know maybe it's your your child or your partner and maybe it's your craft it's like improv if you want me to talk about improv my whole body just lights up I love improv so much and the same goes with firecracker department look even like my body I just want to dance I'm so excited about it what passion makes you dance I could see Teresa dancing with joy over what she got to be part of and what she was working on. It was a real treat. Now for the latest Teresa updates, follow her on Twitter at the THO or Instagram at Teresa.m.ho or go to her website at 100 the number dragons.com. To see what's cooking at Hello Again, head over to at watch hello again on all the platforms. And I really encourage you to check that out. It's not only a great love story, but it's magic and surprising. And I have to say, like, what a treat it was to see such great representation in this series. I want more of that. I want more stories told by everybody. Yeah, you listening right now, I want your story. 
And it also got me thinking, you know, we do this thing where I turn the tables and I let the guests ask me a question at the end. Now, if you could choose to reboot a show, what would it be? That was really hard for me because usually if I love a show so much, I don't want to touch it. And I also ask you, what role would you play in that reboot? Because there are so many to choose from, right? I'd love to hear what you're thinking about because I know, I know for sure right now I've just said that and your brains are like click, 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 click. You're already thinking of something. Let us know what you'd like to reboot. Let us know what character you want to do. Let us know what made your brain go clickety click click click. Go over to our Instagram or Twitter at firecrackerdept or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Or you know what? You can send me an email at firecrackerdepartment at gmail.com. We always love to hear from all of you. It really makes our day and I guarantee you when anybody in the Firecracker core team gets a note from anyone, we share it everywhere. It's fuel. It's fuel for our fire. It's fuel for our firecracker. Yeah, see what I did there? To see what we have going on, visit our website at firecrackerdepartment.com. And while you're there, if you haven't already, go on, subscribe to our now bi-monthly newsletter to get the inside scoop on everything that's going on in the firecracker department. There's always something for everyone, like, you know, the weekly birth sessions or the Sunday brunches, mentorship workshops. We have our monthly wellness mini moments, script readings, I mean, podcasts, we have just whole bunch and it's always better with you there if you ever want to find out what's going on in the firecracker department land go over to our website and our handy dandy event calendar and check all the things out so that you're in touch also this is something new that is because winnie wong our head producer of the podcast is a genius every single episode is on imdb.com so you can check out and see who our guests have been all right I'm just jazzed with reminding myself of my discussion with Teresa and then also this summit today. So I've got like creative juices flowing. What are you doing today? What kind of creative action are you taking? Let me know on one of our platforms so we can support what you're working on. So go on out there, take some creative action, do something fun, take one step, write one page, read one chapter, meet for a coffee and start talking about producing. Do one little step towards your creative goals and then share it with me. I'd love to hear all about it. Thanks again for joining us on the Firecracker Department. We'll see you next time. Winnie Wong is our Firecracker head producer. Follow her at wonder underscore Wong on Instagram and wonder underscore Wong 8 on Twitter. This episode is edited by Shane Stoltz. You can follow them at Shane Stoltz, all one word, and Shane with a Y. This intro was written by the one and only wonderful Winnie Wong. That's right, she's a triple W. The rest of the team comes at you from Toronto, Los Angeles, Austin, London, Dubai, and truly from all over the world. Thanks also to Jeff Malutinovic and Igor Korea for our theme music. And thanks to you. Yeah, you. Sitting there, driving there, walking there, working out there, and taking time to listen. We know there's a lot of options out there, and we really appreciate you choosing us. We hope to see you at maybe brunch, maybe the writing workshop. And until next time, thank you for listening to the Firecracker Department. We'll see you next time.